Walker, and this is the Women Waken podcast, where I interview guests who are in the field of healing and spiritual work using their unique gifts of the divine feminine. We talk all about these amazing gifts that these particular guests have and how they're bringing them forth in the world. On this episode, I welcome a fabulous dynamic duo, TJ Woodward and Jessica Bird Olmsted. Jessica is a psychologist, entrepreneur, and specializes in addiction, gender identity, and working with teens. TJ Woodward is the founder of The Conscious Recovery Method and is a recovery expert, author, and inspirational speaker. Together, these two collaborated to create The Conscious Recovery Workbook for Teens, which is a strength-based perspective on addiction. On this episode, we have so much fun together in an enriched conversation with three people, all who struggled with addiction, all in recovery. And we talk about finding offerings for new and innovative solutions to things like addiction and other struggles that we face. We also discuss birthing creative inspiration into life and connecting with our true essence and whole perfect self. So take a listen, enjoy, and here's my guest. Hello, Jessica and TJ. Welcome to the Women Waken podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Thank you, Whitney. Excited to be here too. Yeah, so excited to have you both. You're my second duo, which is very fun and exciting. I, I love duos. I love more the more discourse, the more conversation with more people. I love that. So this is going to be a very fun talk, especially because we all have backgrounds in addiction and recovery. And I think we're all kind of on the same page and like-minded in terms of how we approach treatment and recovery and our own path of recovery. So it's going to be interesting and exciting to chat with you both. Absolutely. So Jessica, it was was a divine intervention that got us all together here today because TJ and I are old buddies, but we hadn't talked in a while. And then Jessica, you actually emailed me based on a referral. You were looking for, I was looking looking, for a referral and you answered. And then I think you said like, I'd like to hear about your podcast. So we connected and I didn't know that you two were connected. I didn't realize this, that you worked on the conscious recovery for teens workbook together. Yes. Yeah. That was really cool to find out. And then you and I had the most amazing conversation and we're like, we are basically the same person. And we told exactly. I was like, are we best friends? Yeah, we are. (laughs) Yeah. We totally are. And then TJ is obviously our best friend as well. So we said, why not bring us all together and talk about all the things? Love so here it. we are. Yeah. And then of course, I know TJ from, I think it was 2019, back in the old days before this decade, a different world. And right. um, TJ, you had a big impact on me because I actually met you at a time. So I've been in recovery for seven years, sober for seven years. And I did uh, 12-step programs for many years. And then around that time that I met you, I was feeling kind of this draw towards seeking out something else, looking for a different step in my recovery. And we met together based on... We met at a networking event. And I didn't know you know, the depth of your work with conscious recovery and sort of this alternative approach. And everything you said to me was just like, bam, bam. It was like hitting on all the things that had been coming up for me. And I was kind of asking myself do I have to keep doing this approach forever? And you basically offered, no, you don't have, well, you don't have to do anything, but there are also other ways. And that really opened a door to me that I moved through. So I've always really appreciated that and just really appreciated you for bringing this to light, bringing this into the world and offering people 
different ideas about what recovery is and what addiction is and not having to see it in just one standard way, but in a different way. Yeah. And, you know, I'm so passionate about the conversation of offering different paths for me and my recovery at each sort of stage of recovery, there was something else wanted and needed. And I've basically just tried and done everything. And when I was a couple of years sober, I found myself wanting to kill myself, honestly. And it was a very dark time. And I met a woman who changed my life. I talk about her all the time. I've dedicated my life's work to her, Mary Helen. And she really took me on this journey of rediscovering my true nature. And from that moment until conscious recovery was born in its sort of material form, I knew that it was mine to bring uh, the gift that was given to me. You know, we hear that a lot in recovery. This gift was given to me. She just through her presence and her consciousness and quite of changed me in such a deep way that at some point realized it was mine to share this with the world. And I love that we're living in a remarkable time in human history where I don't think anyone, I think more and more people are saying there isn't just one answer. As a matter of fact, for every time I think I have an answer, I end up having about 12 questions at least. So we're really in a new time of exploration, of re-identifying the way we see mental health, addiction, healthcare in general. And I think the last few years um, during the pandemic have have really actually brought that to surface the surface more quickly. So I think it's a really wonderful time to be alive and be exploring these topics. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's so true is that as much sometimes chaos and strange changes that are happening right now, it is, we're also letting go of old structures and standards that we used to really hold tight to and say, this is the way and we have to stay within these confines. But we are breaking down those walls more and more and saying, but is that true? Is it true that we have to work within these confines? Is it true that this, this is the only way? And we're and so more and more people are coming forward and sharing different ways. And that's what I really honor about you, TJ, is that you've actually done it. You had an idea and you spoke it. You brought it into the world. You brought it into being. And that takes a lot. You know, I'm at this point in my work where I'm sort of in that shadow of, oh my gosh, do I step out with some of my thoughts? Do I bring something to light? Because it, it's hard. You give birth to it, right? You have to, and, that, and birthing is a hard process. <laughs> Yeah. And I would love, I think at some point in this show, I would love to talk about that process. It's something that isn't often asked. So I would like to share with the viewers, the people who are listening, really what that journey was like. And the short version, because I know Jessica is going to um, introduce herself. The short version is, is I didn't want to do it. I said, no. My mind was like, nope, I'm not going to write a book about recovery. I'm not a recovery guy. I'm going a different direction. But I just trusted the inner voice. So I, I look forward to exploring that more. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'll make note of that. And then I want to hear more about it. I've heard, I just, I love hearing TJ speak still to this day. I'm like fan should we, number should we one. Just go with it. And then we won't forget Jessica. We won't forget Jessica. No, let's do, let's go with it now. Yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll chime in. I want to hear it. I'm, I want to hear it now. <laughs> yeah, okay, we want it well, now. I'm, you know me, I could, I can talk about it Please. now. I can always <laughs> talk about it now. That's what, you know, as a matter of fact, I want to share something. When my, when my um, friend and mentor, Mary Helen, um, passed away, it wasn't the very last thing she said, but toward the end of her life, and we knew it was coming, she said, 
you are really extroverted, which by the way, is an understatement. And <laughs> she was not that at all. Like she would not speak. She would not, she would no more, no way would she do this show. But her gift was being with someone one-on-one. And toward the end of her life, she said, you are so extroverted. And I just know that you're going to use that extroversion to take this message to a larger audience. So it was as if she passed mm-hmm. the torch to me and I, I took it and said, okay, I guess that's mine to do. So the story of birthing conscious recovery at at some point in my own evolution, I realized something profound, and that is, you know, I, I say profound. It might be very simple to some people, but it was profound to me. Then that was when I create my life from my mind. It seemed like I was having struggle. Like something would start and not work well, or I would do something and I wouldn't feel fulfilled, or I felt like I was pushing against the stream. And then at one point, I realized that when I get quiet and listen to inner wisdom and through the formal visioning process, a visioning process is really being still enough and asking the inner wisdom what is the highest vision and version of my life and i that has been a practice for years and when i started doing that i i'm going to say around 2016 conscious recovery kept coming up i had already written my first book which was conscious being i was working in the addiction treatment field i loved it and i my mind was like i'm not going to be a recovery guy i'm not going to be pigeonholed but i learned at that point i knew enough to listen to inner wisdom, and it just kept coming up. Mm-hmm. So I finally, after about six months to a year, I yielded to that, and I wrote the outline to the book. I did a webinar on it, and it just started feeling there was this great momentum around it. And I'm so grateful because had I gotten what I thought I wanted to do, it would have been so much smaller. And I don't mean like, it's not about the number, but it's the, the mission and the movement and the purpose of conscious recovery is so much bigger than my mind could have ever imagined. And saying yes and yielding to and listening to inner wisdom and then being patient enough to allow the action to come organically has been such a profound process. And I just, you know, I just saw um, a memory on Facebook seven years ago was when my first book was published. And I think about what has happened since then. It's quite remarkable. And it's not no way did I plan that. It was about listening to that inner wisdom. Yeah. That that is so important. And it's so it can be challenging at times because sometimes our inner wisdom is telling us something we might not want to hear, <laughs> like you're saying. Like you didn't want to do it. But if it it just keeps coming back, it's so important to acknowledge it. And allow for that to see what that's about. Yeah. And and just to be really transparent, it's not because I'm so wise. It's because I tried not listening to it and it was really painful. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It was really painful when I struggled. And and then I realized, oh, when I listen to inner wisdom and I take action from that, life is easy. It's simple. It's fulfilling. Mm -hmm. It's energizing. It's just a much easier way to live. And guess what? More people get served because as I listen to the inner wisdom, then it's like, oh, this isn't about me anymore. It's about we. It's about mm-hmm. collaboration. It's about really being on purpose on planet Earth and not like, I want to get what I want. Because gosh, that's exhausting. And I did it for decades and it landed me in some really dark places. So mm-hmm. surrender is an amazing thing. And for me, it was a process, but it can also be a momentary experience. 
Yeah. Would you say, I'm just curious, did it take you a few times to hit that groove, to hit get into the flow of your inner wisdom? Did you try a few things before that? Because you know, I, I know myself and so many people, as you said, I think earlier on in life, we operate often by ego and, and pride, maybe like I want this and I have to do this. And it's, it, it feels very forceful, right? It's like you're pushing your, there's so much effort into it. And then I feel like as I get older, as you're saying, I'm drawn more to the things that come more with ease, but it's still kind of, it's like this letting go process, like moving into that place where you're like, okay, I'm actually surrendering to, even though it wasn't what I had in mind, it seems what I keep getting called to, what keeps, you know, it has the most abundance around it. It has the most momentum around it as you spoke to, but I think it can be hard for people to think they can find that, even though it's the most natural thing to find, right? Because it's yeah, right there. Well, I was, I was at a pretty dark point at, at, at one time in my life and I was, on, on a bus and I was it was going from Marin to San Francisco and it just it was so clear to me that I needed to write my personal mission statement and I just sat in meditation on the bus and it came to me and I wrote it on an index card and I realized at that moment that the specifics aren't really the purpose it really was the quality right so I mean I could share my mission statement it hasn't changed but to your point, what happened for me, for me, is that I would get this vision and then my mind would jump into like, oh, I know how that's supposed to look. And then I would go right back into what we could call self-will, right? Through the ego, I was trying to make it happen instead of being an allowance, instead of being the frequency of that expansion. Because when I listen to inner wisdom, it's always so much greater than I could have imagined. And I always have everything, enough time, enough money, enough people around me. All of that comes with so much more ease. And once I really understood that the struggle wasn't moving me in the direction I wanted to go and it wasn't really serving me or other people, then it became really easy. My friend, Dr. Sue Mortar says, life is difficult and a struggle until it's not. And that's been my experience. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, DJ. All right, Miss Jessica, hey. what, are your, what are your, can we hear from you? Can we hear about you? Well, I just, yes, absolutely. So I've loved hearing both of you so far and I've, I have so many things I want to say, but just a little bit about, so, you know, who am I? That's always the question of the day, but I'm Dr. Jessica Bird Olmstead and I'm a licensed psychologist, a human being, refer to myself sometimes as a spiritual mammal. Um, you know, it's, and hearing TJ just talk, and I'll, I'll introduce myself a bit more, but just the, the one thing that kept resonating with me is how much courage it takes to just be ourselves. It can be terrifying. It can be, it can be terrifying. But I feel like for me over the years, I've had moments where my that inner voice, that essential self that I have has told me pretty loud and clear I need to do certain things, and I would push it away. I would push it away and push it away because I thought I knew how to be successful or exactly what you were saying, TJ. I knew what the outcome should be, how it should be executed down to the every granular detail. And that's just not how my life has been. So my life has truly been an adventure. Um, and just some of my background in, in this work, um, you know, we go way back. I'm on, we could start with birth, but I don't know if we'll have time. Maybe for another show. Let's do it. Go for I it. I know. Okay, so from the Bay Area originally, still here, love it. It's an amazing place, beautiful place. Um, you know, but I'm I'm a trauma survivor. I grew up um, in an addicted family system. I was around chaos. I didn't know that at the time. 
I could, I could be around chaos and trauma all day and it will feel comfortable because I didn't know otherwise. I always say I'm at most ease when I'm on the subway in New York City and surrounded by, you know, rats and garbage. I, I mean, I actually lo absolutely love New York City. But because I grew up in chaotic environments, um, that's where I found peace because I didn't know any different. And I didn't realize that for a long time. And I eventually um, had a very severe addiction in my adolescence. Um, and I, again, I can reflect back now as, you know, a full, whole, you know, functional for the most part adult, and say, wow, that kid didn't know any different. I didn't know better. Um, but I was really in the throes of a very severe and really deadly addiction. And I was, um, I'd like to say perhaps it was divine, perhaps it was the universe, perhaps it was the people that I was able to connect through in my life, but I was able to get sober at 19 years old. But it was, even that in and of itself was a journey. Um, and I, I, you know, similar to TJ, I've seen some dark places. And I took that though, I took those experiences and I worked to transform them into something different. But for a long time, and still to this day, sometimes I carried a lot of shame. There was a lot of shame. I thought, well, I can only be honest about my story once I'm president of the United States. I can only be honest about my story once I have X amount of dollars in the bank, because then I'll be whole. And then I can tell people that I'm in recovery, or then I can tell people what happened to me. And so I lived with such shame. And quite frankly, it fueled a lot of my professional life because I wanted to achieve, achieve, achieve. And I didn't realize that it came from this deep place of, of hurt and suffering. And I really made it mostly my life's mission to help others. Um, got a PhD in clinical psychology, worked with adolescents. But even through that experience, there were structures in place where in certain places, whether, you know, overt or, co or covert, I was told, don't tell people you're in recovery. Don't talk about addiction. Don't talk about your story, right? So I just thought I'm just going to be an academic. I'm a researcher, right? I'm a scientist, and which I am. I am all of those things. But I had shut off this other side of me that really made me who's my my essential self, as as, as TJ would say, my my true self. And so, so much of my work over these more recent years have been, you know, it's like this concept of recovery has been really coming back to that that sense of self, um, not only my, through my personal recovery, but through my professional work. And so I've, that's why I say it's been an adventure. Um, and just, you know, my official uh, credentials are, I'm a doctor, you know, psychologist. I've been in multiple leadership positions. I'm a female entrepreneur. I own a startup company. I own a private practice, right? I have the bullet points, <laughs> but with that, there's things that are so much greater. And that's where I, you know, and I'm, I know we'll talk about it, but that's where conscious recovery comes into play. Because along that journey, actually, when I was in the middle of opening a treatment center for another company um, here in Silicon Valley for a company called The Meadows, uh, TJ and I crossed paths and we were introduced uh, by a mutual colleague of mine, uh, Lisa, who's a wonderful clinician in her own right. And I knew immediately that, you know, it's, you know, you just have that sense sometimes when you meet someone that there was something very, I don't want to say, maybe it is cosmic. I know, you know, I feel that way um, with our relationship, TJ, but just 
hearing his story when I first met him and what he was doing with this work and addressing the root causes of addiction and thinking about what if we looked at what's going right with people? What if we looked at these innate powers that are already within us that were never lost? I mean, that was just, I've been waiting for that. And I'd been waiting to reclaim that. And so when we had the opportunity to start collaborating and, and putting together, um, you know, treatment curriculum and, and this workbook for adolescents, uh, Conscious Recovery for Teens, quite frankly, it hasn't felt like work. Mm. I enjoy every second of our time together. And, and so it's, it's really, it's, and, and just speaking to what you said again, TJ, Conscious Recovery is so much more than just addiction treatment. It's so much more than mental health treatment. It really is this movement for people to heal. Anyone. Because we, we all have the human experience. So I'm just, yeah, that's my, that's my extra long intro. I'm a little caffeinated too. Um, <laughs> but I think I've touched Great. the high points for now, but we can get into it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jessica. And it sounds like you have a very colorful and wide breadth of what you do in your work as a psychologist and maybe you like tap into other outlets as well in terms of what you're doing. Do you work Absolutely. at recovery centers? So I've done, so a large, so when, you, when I go back to the resume, so I spent um, years working in a hospital setting um, and I was in leadership positions in both child psychiatry and adolescent addiction medicine um, doing uh in different le various leadership roles in hospital and integrated care settings. Mm. Um, and all the while had a private practice, really working largely with folks in recovery, codependency recovery. Um, and then I am very much immersed and had been advising for mental health technology startups uh, in here in Sil based out of Silicon Valley and really taking my clinical expertise and helping how do we leverage technology and use it as this force for greater good. So that's always been in the background. I ultimately left that hospital several years ago. And like I said, I launched a private treatment center um, for addiction and trauma recovery for adults. Um, and then, you know, part of my own journey, I, I launched it. It's been wildly successful. I left that company and I got to travel the world. And I'll just, I always tell people this story. I, you know, I haven't stopped since preschool. I never took a break. And that was part of, for me, part of my recovery because I've been go, go, go because it's that shame. In so many ways, that shame was driving me to like, I can't stop because if I stop, well, first of all, I am probably gonna have to look at myself and that's terrifying, right? Getting, being our true selves, like I said, is a courageous act. Um, and so I had a hard time slowing down, but I was able to and just travel and it was wonderful. And I'm so lucky that I did because I spent a couple of years traveling internationally and Quite frankly, I never thought I'd, you know, I didn't think I'd live long enough to see the world, nor did I think I'd ever be in a place where I'd have the privilege to do so. I didn't think very big of my life mm -hmm. as a young person. It was very, my world was very small. And so I've been blessed now to, you know, travel and, and do these different things. And from that, what was born out of my travel is my most recent venture, which is a startup called Airbear. Uh, where we focus on travel stress and flight anxiety. So that's just, again, another project I've been working on. It's been fantastic. And just, it's, it doesn't feel like work. 
right? Mm-hmm. It's fun. I, it's, it's, I get to help people and integrate technology and integrate my clinical expertise. Um, and then most recently, I've also gone back to a leadership position in a hospital setting. So a little busy, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's incredibly meaningful and it keeps me, I, I'm excited every day and, you know, to wake up and be able to, you know, see what's coming next. Yeah. Yeah. And how fun is that? I mean, what a beautiful life you've created for yourself, both of you. And that's an amazing thing because we do, we start, I mean, especially for those of us, you know, in recovery, um, you know, I'll never forget the feeling I had the day that I hit bottom and I realized, you know, the long road that I had ahead of me because, you know, you speak Jessica to getting back to your essential self. And I often talk that when I first got sober, it felt like I was like a million miles from myself. I felt so distant. I felt very far away from who I was. And I didn't even know who I was. And I didn't really like who I was. I knew that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was like, if this is what I have to work with, I don't want it, you know? And I I didn't know how to connect with that and to find beauty in that, to find the the spirit, the energy, the gift of who I was. I didn't want to be who I was. And that's a lonely place to be. That's a scary place, you know? And that's why, of course, you know, recovery resources are so important because when you're at that point, it's so crucial to connect with somebody who's been there and can say, hey, there's a way. There is possible. I've done it. Let me help you see some of the steps, some of the things you can do, right? And then you can, you create, you realize you are a creator. Because I think when you connect with your essential self, you recognize, wait a minute, I get to sort of create my life. I don't have to be at the whim of things that happen to me. You know, and again, you spoke of shame. And I think shame is a powerful driver because we feel victim to the things that happen. And we say, because this happened to me, I'll never be this. And I'll always be this. I'll always not be good enough or not lovable. And I'll never really be successful. But when we recognize that it's that's only declarations that we're making and repeatedly making, that's the only thing that reinforces those. When you can let go of shame, you realize you're free. And that's when all the magic happens, right? When you get these beautiful, exciting lives that all of us are now living, right? Yeah, it's so it's so amazing hearing both of you because that's so my journey. I had so much shame when I got sober. You know, and, and it's it's interesting. Sometimes we hear people say, I feel ashamed that I did that. Um, and I like to invite the question, is it possible I did that because I felt shame, right? That the behavior mm. actually stems from the shame and then we're in a shame spiral, right? So uh, we've how many times have we heard hurt people hurt people? So I believed I was broken. I believed I was damaged, damaged goods. There was something fundamentally wrong with me. Not just like I had some flaws. There was something fundamentally wrong with me. And to me, that's shame. It's set so deep in the core. And because of that, I acted that way in the world and I chose relationships to confirm it. And I thought I was worthy of a job that didn't pay me well. And I found myself struggling. And like Jessica, I got sober really young. I I, I, I was a year later than you. I was 20. It was actually like 50 some odd days before my 21st birthday, ironically. But you know, growing up in recovery has so many benefits. It also has some shadow sides for sure. I had to like grow up and not be able to use drugs and alcohol as an excuse for my behavior because the truth is that the drugs and the alcohol were uh, my way of managing or coping or um, what we in conscious recovery call a brilliant strategy. That was my brilliant strategy for survival. Take that away, what was left? The shame, the disconnection, the unresolved trauma. 
Um, recently, I, I have the honor of being on a platform called wholehearted.org. If you're not familiar, check it out. It's great. A lot of resources there, some, some amazing thought leaders. And there was a clip put on Wholehearted. And I said, what I want to offer you today is that you can heal from your trauma regardless of what has happened. And this woman, I think with a heartbreaking honesty said, how dare you say that? We know that trauma permanently damages the brain. So for you to say that someone can heal is not helping. And so I sat with that and I felt what I, what I did is I allowed myself to feel that emotion. And then I remembered absolutely believing that there's no way I could heal. No way. If you knew what I'd done, if you knew what had happened, you would know there's no way I can heal. And so through the lens of compassion, I replied and responded with, isn't it wonderful that now we're recognizing what, what I love about this era is spirituality and science are coming together. Mm -hmm. And we understand now brain science and what we're seeing with, we literally can change our genes and our DNA, but looking at the brain, yes, it's true. Trauma affects the brain, but the great news is it's not permanent. And spiritually, the way I say it is there's a place within us that is unharmed and unharmable, regardless of what has happened. Through science, we recognize now that we create new neural pathways in the brain. Mostly, we frame that through behavior. I start behaving differently and I create a new neural pathway. I think that's important. And it's even deeper than that. As we start to heal the shame and the disconnection and the trauma, we actually start to change ourselves physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. And I absolutely hold that any of us can heal regardless of the trauma. It doesn't necessarily, I don't want to, I would never want to say to someone who's in a, the depth of pain, oh, you can heal that, not in some dismissive yeah. way, but through compassion and saying, oh gosh, I believed that too. I believe there's no way. Yeah. If, you, if you knew how bad, a bad, what a bad human I was, you would know I can never heal from this. Yeah. And that was just shame on top of shame on top of shame. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so important the more people speak to this openly because I think so many people sit alone with their pain and with their wounds that they believe can never heal. And if you don't believe a wound can heal, you're going to let it alone. And then it just festers and gets worse and worse over time. And it manifests physically and it just affects our whole being, body, mind, and soul, right? Yeah. But the more that people talk about it, we can think, oh, it's okay to have a wound. It's okay to have this thing that, because a wound becomes a life force, right? The same the way that shame drives you, your wounds will drive you to do things to try and soothe that pain. That's, I mean, to me, that's a lot about what addiction is, is like, I just want to do something that makes this feel better. This deep, deep, painful belief or feeling that I have about myself or about my life. So I think that the more we openly discuss the challenges of healing, but also how we heal, I think that's, it's a game changer because then it becomes more a part of, of life just because we're all going to get wounds. It happens. Emotional wounding. It's just, and, and that's where the shame comes in is like, oh, but it shouldn't have happened to me. So I have to keep it secret. But if we all are allowed to talk and say, I have this and it's hard to heal because healing does take time and it happens by degrees. And so, for some people it's more intense than others. And it's, you know, I, and I know I've had healing processes that I wonder, is it possible for this to be fully healed? Will this go away? can take a long time, but I'm in a spiritual capacity. I believe that it's our part of our soul's evolution and growth 
So I, when I'm in a good place, I can honor that pain and say, okay, this is helping my soul. Cause any challenge, any healing is, is a growth, right? It's the most challenging times that create character and, you know, evolution, maturity. So we can see it as a gift and a blessing, even though it doesn't feel like it at all. But I think it's easier to do that when we do it together. And we can say, okay, we're all in this together. We all have this experience. I'm not alone in having this horrific thing happen to me that I don't want to tell anyone about. And I'm so scared. And I just want to pretend it didn't happen. You know, when we can speak out loud, healing can happen together. Well, and having those, that, like you said, healing together, having that connection. And, you know, I think I repeat this all the time. I don't know who said this quote first, but this concept that mental health is health. We all have mental health. Every single human on this planet has mental health. Right. And so we're not alone in this. And, and, you know, there's been such a collective trauma over the last two years with the pandemic, which has been tragic and horrific. And I'm not here to be dismissive of it. And at the same time, can there be a conversation from this? Can there be a discussion around, we are in the midst of, you know, even in thinking about, I do a lot of work with young people. And like I said, adolescents, and, you know, we were in a mental health crisis before COVID. And we can look at the numbers and it was already bleak and we didn't have enough providers. You know, there was, you know, increase in ER visits for suicidality. It was already happening. Increased substance use, increased overdose rates for, you know, substances. And now there's a light on it. So now there's this, let's talk about it, right? So that de- that decreases the shame, but it also brings this awareness and lets people know they're not alone. So I've been really appreciating seen more discussions around, you know, mental health and health in general, not just from advocates or the few celebrities or, you know, which is wonderful, but just everyday people, all of us joining together and talking about like, Hey, how's it going? How are you? Oh, I'm not feeling great today. Oh, okay. What's going on? Right. Can it be okay? Can there be a safe space to talk in these ways in a, in an authentic, like, really, truly in an authentic way. And I think it's hard because we, you know, again, thinking about those brilliant strategies that TJ, you talked about and different things that we do. I'm of the mindset that these were all things that we try to do to protect ourselves, right? So we can feel okay in the world and they just end up not working anymore. And it is this constant evolution. It has, sometimes I wish it would end for me. I'm always like, oh, when do I get my prize? Like that's how my mindset unfortunately still works in recovery. It's just like the addict inside of me that's like, okay, like I've reached that level now, right? Like, do I fight the ultimate bad guy at the end? And like, we're here now, right? We've ascended some kind of, you know, and it's just what I've learned is it's not that way, which still makes me mad sometimes because I want my prize, right? I'm like, where is it? Like, yeah. I just... What's well, here? It's your life right now. It's I know, right? I go, like, I just... Fabulous life. I just... Sell, thank you, right? But I don't <laughs> always... But I'm not always in that place of gratitude because I have this humanity, right? I have this... I, I'm living in a... You know, I have still a part of my experience is the human experience. And so what you spoke to, Whitney, too, which I just, you know, completely resonated was... You know, sometimes, you know, I don't believe pain is necessary for growth, but it does often lead to growth. And so much of it is how can I appreciate healing? Can I find joy in healing even when there's suffering? And can I hold both of those things together? Mm-hmm. And I think in working with young people and, and working with adolescents, especially, and even reflecting back on my own adolescence, 
they have so many people in their lives that are telling them, don't do that. That's wrong. This is wrong. Act this way. Be better. You have to be like this in school. And I want to be that person that's there to say, oh, wait, tell me about that thing that you're doing. That's interesting. Like, wait, you're interested. You know, it's what do you want to do? Or, you know, how can we take that and how can we transform it? Right. What if all of those things, those negative things, the messaging that we received for me that I received as a young person, what if someone had told me that it was actually a strength? And so just to come back to the, the, the recent publication in our launch, the launch of conscious recovery for teens is to me, that's really, I see is it's foundational to it is like TJ said, the foundation of conscious recovery is that you are not broken. And for work, we, the work we're doing with adolescents, it's saying all those things that people are saying weren't good. What if they were? What if we looked at it in a different light? What if you are truly, what if you're a superhero? And we have that in our workbook, these superpowers, but you're actually a superhero. And to see the shift that happens with young people when you approach them in that manner, like just as, to me, it's just going, Everyone deserves dignity. So whether I'm working with an adult in treatment, a young person, whatever walk of life, we all deserve that dignity. And I think it's that connection that is part of the healing, what you're talking about, that collective healing. Yeah. Yeah. And I I love the work with teens because, or even younger, because unfortunately the shame starts so young. It's the because I think that we come into the world thinking we are superheroes and we're like this is awesome yeah. and, and exactly. life is fun and the first time we're told like what are you doing what was that that was weird don't do that it's like you get this shock that shock of shame that's like oh god I'm not okay how I am I can't do that I can't be me I can't express how I thought I could and it's like we're never the same and you know not to blame parents I mean we all kind of we can't you know we have these reactions sometimes but it's just so impactful and I wish that there were ways that you're speaking to where it's like you you more sort of encourage and allow kids to be curious about what they're doing rather than like, you know, tell them, no, that's not what we do. That's not allowed or whatever it is. Um, because that, that shame just really sticks with you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it is, it is really planted at such an early age. And I remember when I got into recovery, I said I had the perfect childhood. Right. And then maybe a year or two into it, I had the most horrific abusive parents and I was going to confront them and all it. And I did the letters. And then another three years or four years into it, I had the perfect childhood again. And so I, I appreciate that you're talking that you gave some compassion to parents because I realized that what happened wasn't about blaming someone. It was about realizing what happened as you you defined, you described it so beautifully, Whitney, that like there's a shock. And I remember, and I don't remember exact details, but I remember, I think I was watching TV and I'm, I'm really dating myself, but there was a war happening in our country way back when, not World War One. let's not go that far back, or World War II. <laughs> but uh, when I, I saw it on TV and I was shocked, I literally, like, I remembered as literally a shock to my system. And it was, it was the, a, a trauma experience. And I froze because it's, it's horrific. It's horrific to see war. It, it was so painful for me to love my grandfather and hearing him say racist things, just like common language. It was confusing for me when my dad and his brothers were saying horrific things about women when the women weren't in the room. All of this was shocking to me. And I went into um, a trauma response, flight, 
fight, flight, or freeze. And I, I pretty much froze. And I froze and I built a wall around my heart. And it was at those moments somehow, because intellectually, I can I can understand like, why would why would I blame myself for all of that? But something happens in the young brain. Um, if mom is mad, I'm bad. If dad is absent, I'm not lovable, right? It doesn't make logical sense as an adult. But as a child, three, four, five, six... I absorbed all of that and my favorite word concretized that into my unconscious. And that's why, and this is what's exciting for me in our conversation, it's one thing to identify the root causes of addiction. It's one thing to say we all have trauma, disconnection, and shame, but what do we actually do with it? Uh, And that's, I think, what's really needed. And for me, it's understanding that it doesn't get fixed, and I'm using air quotes because we're not broken, but it doesn't get changed only intellectually or behaviorally. And I think that's where a lot of the recovery models have been. That's a lot of where the um, mental health um, community has been. It's been about behavior, symptoms, behaviors, and thoughts. And all of that has a place. And the way we really do the deeper healing is to go back on... We don't have to re-experience the trauma, but I have to go back and and be that three-year-old and be that four-year-old and realize what was happening and what I absorbed and the deep core decisions I made about myself. I remember when I was working with Mary Helen from um, probably two years to five years sober, I would sit with her for hours and we would go through you know, doing these deep inventories about the past. And she would always just pause and say, what did you decide about yourself? What did you decide about the world? What did you decide about men? You know, like I decided really early, women were safe, men were unsafe, of course. And believe me, through my history, that was true. But I decided it at such a deep level that I, I, I literally was so terrified of men that I cut out half the world's population for being safe, right? Just no, unsafe. And so it's not as much what happened. I had an obsession with trying to remember the exact specifics of my sexual trauma an obsession because I thought if I could remember the exact event and who was there and what happened, I would be able to be healed. But I realized that it was more about what the experience was, what the core decisions were made. Even a five-year-old makes a core decision. I remember looking at my nephew when he was seven and I looked at his beauty, his pure effervescent self. And I thought, wow, that was the age I decided that I was damaged beyond repair. That was the age I decided the world wasn't safe. That was the age I decided I'm going to put a wall around my heart to save myself and protect myself. Honestly, I was just crying looking at him because I could see myself as this whole imperfect child making all these big decisions based on such limited information. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, TJ, that's one thing that I really appreciate about your work. I mean, so many things I appreciate, but the idea that that I think is so needed in recovery is that there, there's nothing, there was everything wrong with you and you were never bad because that was one of the things that led me to want to seek out other means of a recovery path is the message I started hearing in other groups was that was the bad you. And I can never go back to that person. And to me, that's kind of like creating this like monster where you're like trying to put it in a closet and you're like, that thing can never come back out. Like that thing is condemned. It is out there, but that's you. Like you're talking about yourself, you know? And the, the the more that we say like that part was bad, so that part stays away, we're not fully integrating and accepting ourselves. We're not allowed to see our essence because as you also spoke to, that bad self was just somebody who was doing the best they could 
to take care of themselves, protect themselves and save themselves at the time. That was the best they knew how to do. And so that's what I really work with clients on is seeing, can you find a way to have compassion and understanding for that person and see that they were never bad. They were never evil. They were never trying to harm you. They just didn't know what to do and they did the best they could. And I think that messaging is so wonderful because it comes from a place of unconditional love for yourself where you say, oh, no matter what you do, I would never dismiss you. You know, And I think that that's so crucial. And I think that's a lot of what causes shame as a child is things that happen where we feel like somebody says, oh, I don't know if I can love you anymore because you did that. So it beca- we feel it's conditional. Like, And then, I mean, talk about being a driving force in your life. People will try to micromanage their life so they don't ever do something that makes pe- that they think people might decide, oh, okay, well then that person, I have to reject them because they're, you know, and, and that's so exhausting to live that way, you know? And so that's why I just believe so much in people being able to, you know, just because you spoke to be their essential self and live freely and don't not have to feel like, I have to control everything around me to be accepted, to be lovable. It's like, I just am. And that's Absolutely. the, and the thing is that that's the truth, you know? And I know you speak to that TJ, that core essential self, that's, it's what it is. And it's always been the truth, but we mirror it with these, these clouded ideas and thoughts and beliefs about ourselves. And it's just kind of about stripping away and uncovering that unharmable self. That's always pure and perfect and right there and never left. And, and Whitney, and, and thinking about the sense of, like you said, it's exhausting to try to be perfect every day. I mean, just the le- sheer exhaustion. I've experienced it myself. And just what is it like if we just let ourselves be in the ease that we have in the world? What if, what if I mean, like I said, I feel like it's terrifying to face our true selves. And at the same time, wow, I don't have to keep running, 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 right? Yeah. What if we just sat with, this is it actually right now, this very moment. And I have a lot of quotes I like, but one of them is love lives in the present moment. Mm, and I have to be here to experience it. And that's hard sometimes because even with fun stuff, I go off and, you know, I'll pl- I'm a planner. I'll plan like 20, 30 years in advance. And I have to bring myself back, right? I have to bring myself back to the moment. The other thing I just want to comment on, and I made up a little saying, and I talk about this with clients too, is um, I say, we got to put our SPF on. And what I mean by SPF is self-permission to fail. And I'm not even a big fan of the word fail, but it's this idea of like, I want to just try things. I want to just put myself in it and, and really in this childlike way, right? Mm-hmm. I think we get become so disconnected from this sense of play and lightness that we have as children, this innocence, TJ, this effervescence that you were speaking to. And it's, I think so much of conscious recovery is how do we get back to that? You know, it's, it's coming back to that place. And I often tell people too, is like, I say, the good news is you don't need anything extra. It's already inside of you. Yeah. Which I love. I'm like, sweet. Cause I'm already tired. <laughs> right. I don't need to do <laughs> I I don't need to do more, right? I had someone the other day tell me, Jessica, you're doing the most. You need to stop, Mm. right? And just go, wow, what's it like to just sit with myself in this moment? Yeah. Well, and, and I think that is so important to lean into, Jessica, because, you know, I go into treatment programs throughout the country and I train clinicians um, on the conscious recovery method or model. 
And it isn't a training in the mind. And that's, you know, for some people, that's not great news because they come in with their clipboard or their notebook and their pen and they want to, you know, know exactly what conscious recovery is step by step. But it's really an experience. And inevitably, in the seven or eight hours I'm with clinicians, at one point, and I hope it always emerges, and it, it usually does, someone says, but I'm, that's beyond my scope of practice. I can't, I have been taught that I can't address trauma because it's beyond my scope of practice. And so what I want to focus on for a moment is what Jessica said, learning how to be present with myself is the greatest trauma healing I can ever have. Learning how to be present with myself is the greatest relapse prevention tool. You know, we give our clients relapse prevention tools. Like, here's if, if you know, if you want to drink, call your therapist or call your sponsor or call your support group. We give them these tools, but we're not really helping someone understand. And I don't mean understand, but experience. I can actually be with whatever's present anxiety, fear, joy. How many times have we had clients relapse because things were going really well and that was out of their comfort zone? And so to a clinician who's watching or listening right now, if you work with clients and you've ever been told it's beyond your scope of practice to help with trauma, what I want to invite is what I'm not saying is go in and dig for trauma and go back and have people re-experience trauma. But if you're facilitating a group and someone's trauma comes up, Rather than shutting it down, just for a minute, if it's even, I mean, 60 seconds of being able to sit with that in the room is the most profound tool that someone can experience. And they'll take that with them much more than a, if you ever feel like drinking again, call this or do this. And I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing that because it's useful. But you know, how many times have we heard someone say, I knew I should have, but I couldn't. And that's there's wisdom there if we're really willing to listen. So as I learn how to be present with myself and as I model that, because that's really the work as a clinician, as a counselor, therapist, or coach, I need to learn how to be comfortable with my own discomfort while facilitating a group. And then that allows for someone else to be. And lo and behold, I didn't have to drink. I didn't have to scream. I didn't have to run out of the room. And if I do all that, that's okay too. But I can actually start to re-experience or reprogram the mind, the heart, and the body, oh, I can be present with this. That's profound for someone. And that to me is trauma healing. And anyone, regardless of our license, can do that for someone. Just be present with someone, allow them to feel for even one minute, and just let that experience be in the room. Any of us can do that. And it's profound. Yeah, it is profound. And it's amazing the immediate shift you can see when somebody has that experience, when they finally are able to just sit and speak of their trauma and just that it's allowed to be present. And it, it's like something lets go of them a little bit. You know, it's, it's when you, again, kind of understand you don't have to be afraid of it. It doesn't have to be this monster. It's just something that's, it's just there. And if you can be with it, the same as with any other discomfort, it, it does kind of let go and you just find this shift. And I've seen it in my clients where they're like, at the next few sessions, they're like, yeah, I feel better. I'm, I feel like I've moved on a little bit. And, and it's just remarkable. Yeah. And Jessica, you spoke to something and I'll just, just, I think one of the ways that Jessica and I, one of the ways we bond, I think is we have a similar brilliant strategy and I'll speak for myself. My yeah. brilliant strategy, <laughs> Let's see. No, I probably agree with you. 
for many years was just becoming a big major achiever. Just do, 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 action, action, action. And and that for me, that was about like, it was too terrifying for me to be present with myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about when I was drinking and using, I'm talking about the first if I'm honest, 20 years of my recovery, right? I was still running. I was opening a new business. I was, you know, getting in a new relationship. And it was, there was something that was driving that. And it's not, it's not good, bad, right, wrong. It, it was a brilliant strategy. And there was a moment when I realized, oh my gosh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to actually be present with myself. And then being present with myself allowed that those strategies to start to shift. In other words, it's not about changing the behavior as much as it's about doing some of the deeper healing and then the behavior starts to change. And I love, Whitney, what you said. It's not duality. There's not a good part of me and a bad part of me. If I consider something negative, what do I want to do? Get rid of it. That's the addiction. I want to get rid of this. Recovery is learning how to integrate it all. Yeah. And that's I'm excited. I'm so excited that you guys did this workbook and just all work with teens because as we said, it starts so young, but when you get these ideas early, it's like you learn the process. You learn how to kind of experience something and not hold and create this certain belief that can haunt you the rest of your life. You can just accept it and say, how can I sit with this? How can I know this doesn't determine who I am or my value or my worth? It's just something that happened. It's not who I am. And then be able to move through it. And then it's it's a different experience of life. And so the younger that we're able to introduce these concepts, you know, and especially teenagers and, and you know, young, young adults, they're they're so hungry for ways to, as you spoke of, to accept themselves. To, they, they want so badly to be okay with themselves, but they don't know if they can. I was just working with a client yesterday. I, I specialize in eating disorders and body image. And TJ, I know you created a workbook for that as well, which is so wonderful because it's so needed. But my client was just in tears because her body had changed. And she just said, I just don't feel comfortable with this. And I don't want it. I want what I had before. And I feel like I lost it. And because it's all the ideas that go around with that. Well, this, how I am is bad. And how I was before is good, right? That duality again. And, and then she said, she's like, I just want to be able to be okay with myself as I am. But we struggle to know how to do that. And I think that, you know, I imagine this workbook is super helpful for that because it shows you you are okay. You are. You truly are. And it's the most easy state in the world, right? It's the most natural state in the world too, but we don't believe that. So I think that the work you two are doing is to help people to click in with that concept that there's actually nothing I have to do at all. It's right here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, you know, that's so much of what has propelled, I think, our, you know, my work and our work with young people is, you know, in some sense, like, I don't really like the word treatment anymore these days, similar with TJ, but it's this concept of prevention is the best treatment. And if we can address people when they're young, it does, you know, it's, it changes the whole, the whole game. Right. I mean, if, like you said, if they can get these concepts and these really, these experiences early on, they don't have to keep behaving in these ways that aren't serving them anymore. And so it's, it's not just going, Oh, you're okay. Yes. Okay. It's going, you're better than okay. And I work with so many young, I go, and that's why we talk about, they, they, these are superpowers where are living within you. And, and in the workbook, we talk about the superhero and the villain. And we're very thoughtful when we talk about this villain concept and saying, no, the villain is part of you too. It's, the, it's to be embraced. 
it's actually there's there's no judgment on either the superhero or the villain as being good or bad. It's all you and you are wonderful. Right. And I think just to hear that, to have that validation in and of itself as a whether a young person or any age, it's like, really? That's okay? For someone to say it's okay to not, you know, to 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 have these other sides to myself or to have these things that I've experienced that, you know, I perhaps do feel shame about or do feel bad about, I'm still okay. And, you know, with my work with young people. I often say too, like, especially when we see behaviors like addiction, sub, you know, thinking about substance use in particular, I go, they're often the one of the most well-adjusted in the family, if, 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 if I could say it that way, not to judge the other family members because everyone's dealing with their own stuff. But in a sense, they're saying, they're externalizing it, saying, see, these things are happening. I don't want to keep these family secrets. I want to show the world that there's something going on. I want to make a change, Mm -hmm. but it's just, they're doing so in a way that ends up hurting them. Mm -hmm. And so I I really, when I work with, with kiddos, I go, I go, you're the truth teller. I go, Oh, you're the truth teller in the family who showed up. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And that's such, I mean, such power that they hold Yeah. because they have the ability to change really these cycles of, of truly intergenerational trauma. Which is, Absolutely. I mean, that is mind blowing. And to go, and, and I don't, and I get to tell them, hey, you have that power. And I get to bear witness to that. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that that's so true. I have a a lot of friends who have struggled with uh, addiction or or just in some way been sort of that standout individual in the family that was, you know, problematic or had issues. But really, as you said, that's just, they're the ones showing the symptoms that are so prevalent. Because as we know, you know, it's a family system. It's not ever just one person that's the problem. They're, they're, expressing and exposing what's kind of going on in a dysfunctional system where no one's really healthy. And what I found is actually that often the individual that kind of ends up, you know, having some of the greatest challenges is the one that breaks free, breaks those, you know, the cycle, breaks the generational cycle of that's been going on for a long time. It's like, they've had enough. It's, and that's how I felt. There was like something in me that was like, I, I, there's something not right here. And I drank and and took drugs in order to like numb that uh, discomfort. But once I got sober, I could see clearly and I I would, without judgment, but it's like, oh, wow, there's, it's not just me, but other people just aren't coping with it the same way I am, but they also aren't dealing with it. Mm -hmm. And I I think that that's sort of the essence of breaking free is you kind of have to, it's nothing, you know, nothing happens without a bit of chaos, right? And so, yes, it may be a bit, chaotic and crazy when we go through addiction and recovery, but we're truly breaking a cycle that I believe carries on for lifetimes that we'll, that we've probably been doing for lifetimes. And now we're going to have a different experience going forward. And that's profound and powerful. And if people knew that, I think um, that that would also be comforting to think there is purpose behind this. There is reason. You know, it's, it's amazing. I've been reflecting in the last few days, this is like the third time it's come up my own recovery journey. Um, I got sober in 1986. And my mom, soon after that, maybe a year into my recovery, got into recovery herself, not for substance use, but for other issues. And she and her sisters, my my mom has four sisters. 
Um, and there was a lot of sexual trauma in on that side of the family. And there was a lot of issues with weight and eating on that side of the family. And my mom married a man, my father, who has two brothers. So it was on one side, I had three men and on the other side, five women. And the men on, on my dad's side, all we, we would probably call them sexual predators today, but hypersexual at very least. Um, and they they married each other because of that dynamic, right? They were attracted to each other because of that. My mom was sexually abused as a child. And when she got into recovery, she and her sister started doing these impromptu, and I think it was on a Friday evening once a month, they would all get together. Cousins, all the women in the family were getting together. I wasn't allowed, but I would I would eavesdrop a little bit. Don't tell. <laughs> Um, but they would, they, would actually, they would actually start talking about the years and the layers of the sexual trauma that had, had happened in our family throughout generations and putting voice to it for the first time. And I just remember the healing that was coming from that. And I don't think I ever really felt the, the full depth of if I hadn't gotten into recovery, because mine, like I had, I either was going to die or get into recovery, right? Because that's that's what we who choose drug addiction, <laughs> we usually are going to either die or get into recovery if yeah. we're fully, yeah. if in so deep. So I, I kind of had to get into recovery if I was going to stay yeah. alive, but she didn't have to, right? She could have gone on her whole life kind of, you know, working with it the way she did. But there was so much healing that came. And, you know, I think my getting into recovery helped her too. And then her sister's, and there was there was this generational healing that started happening. And for some reason, that's been up the last 72 hours, that conversation. I had forgotten all about that until recently. Wow. That's, yeah, that's beautiful to hear that. Again, I'm learning more about you, TJ, even though I know you. And it's just thinking about, you know, the healing that all it takes is one person in the family. And you can be that one. And, and I think often someone, someone, you know, even myself getting into recovery, you don't think, oh, how is this going to affect the rest of my family or my loved ones? But it is amazing to see the change and the shifts that happen within an entire family yeah. when someone starts this journey. And, and sometimes, and coming back to, you know, our work with teens, sometimes it is that young, sometimes it's the child. It's not the adult. It's not the caregiver. And so, you know, thinking about our work with this curriculum with young people, we've very, we've been very thoughtful in making sure there are components uh, that we have. It's called family connection, where there's an activity for the teen and their caregiver or parent to connect, because that's where the healing is going to take place for them. It's not going to happen in isolation, right? And it's yeah, it's. I just really appreciate you sharing that TJ and you know it makes me reflect on my own you know family and upbringing and you know the the evolution and the work that there is in, in going through this and it's it's constant right there's a constant unfolding um, and there's always something new to be found and things that you know I, I I hadn't thought of or that come back and it's um but the great thing is I get to experience it and I just wanted to comment on one more thing before I lose my train of thought the word that came to me when you were both talking earlier, and I think TJ, you mentioned it was, well, what comes from conscious recovery? What, com what, 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 what comes from it? And the word that came to mind, we've talked about this, is freedom. 
there's this beautiful freedom in it, right? Because again, that word exhaustion, the exhaustion, the burnout, the trying, the perfection, all of those ways that these deep pain and you know, wound, suffering, trauma, toxic shame can manifest in our lives. What if we didn't have to live that way anymore? And when we don't have to live that way anymore, to me, that's truly, that's the freedom. And uh, it's, I get to, I, I'm just like have chills because I also get to live it. I don't just, you know, it's, I get to talk about with my clients and with my colleagues and this professional way, but it's like going, no, I don't tell people or ask people to do things if I'm not living it. Now, it doesn't mean I'm living it perfectly. <laughs> I'll say that, but there's a daily practice in it, which is just, you know, it's, there's a lot of hope in it too. Absolutely. There's so much hope in everything that you both are doing in your work and what you're offering through conscious recovery. Cause it truly is a different way. I think a lot of people have it considered, you know, I know when I've recommended it and offered it to clients, they've, you know, they hadn't really thought of it this way before. And that's really mm-hmm. powerful. And, you know, Jessica, freedom is probably my favorite word because to me, it, it is like the word of our times. I feel everything that's shaking in our world is too, it, I, to me, I see it as like breaking our chains that we live mm-hmm. by because humans live in chains, right? There's a quote that I love that says, humans are free, but everywhere we live in chains. And it's true. We, we create our own chains. And it's, as we said, it's exhausting. It's miserable. It's but really, there's no change. It's, it's, we just have to recognize that we're the ones who put them on. TJ, can it's, you tell the Mohini story? Well, actually, <laughs> I want a actually, Mohini story. This sounds actually, like a type of drink, but I want to hear it. You know, it's very interesting. I'm not going to tell the Mohini story. Okay, okay. I am, am going to tell the story of the elephant sanctuary in Thailand, which okay. is essentially the same story. Okay, okay. Give a little background. So the Mohini story is the story that I would tell a lot when I spoke. And my now husband, Will, would say, he said to me, honey, you got to stop talking about Mohini. <laughs> Enough already. And so Mohini, Mohini kept coming up. And then when we did the Conscious Recovery for Teens workbook, Jessica's like, oh, we have to use that Mohini. We have to have Mohini. So I'm going to leave that. But I'm going to, when you talked about the chains, Immediately, what came up, and I wrote in Conscious Creation, my third book, I use this as the example. Um, Will, my husband, went to Thailand and he went to an animal, an elephant sanctuary. Um, and he said that one of the elephants um, would rock back and forth when it was a time for her to eat. And the, um, the people, I'm actually feeling really emotional because like, I, I so relate to this. Right. And this elephant had been in the sanctuary for years, but she still rocked every time it was time for her to eat. And it's because when she was um, in captivity and in chains, they used to make her dance for her food or they wouldn't feed her. Right. So they had trained her. So anytime she was eating, she thought she had to rock back and forth. And even though the chains had been off for years and that she was in this beautiful sanctuary where she was getting she was experiencing what we would call freedom, external freedom. There was a deep program in her that she had to rock, right? So it's literally Pavlov's dog. And all of us have that. If we have trauma trapped in our body, and by the way, if you were born on planet Earth, and I think most of us were. You got it. Sure, Not 100% sure. (laughs) There's some debate about that, but let's assume we are. We were, um, we have trauma because of everything that we've already talked about, right? So I have these programs And most of the time, they're unconscious. And so, as Whitney said, we have these chains and they're self-imposed, but they're also not our fault. 
They came as a deep program and it's unconscious. So what we want to do is compassionately bring the conscious, unconscious into conscious awareness. And Carl Jung says it perfectly. And that is until we make the unconscious conscious, it will direct our life and we will call it fate. Right? So I was completely unaware that I had chains on. I was completely unaware that my belief in my own brokenness was causing these relationships that felt really broken or um, my, my stealing. My gosh, I just, I, that was my, I was passionate about stealing in my, my late teens because I felt so damaged and so broken. And I used to have so much shame. I would never admit that. And it's like, yeah, I did that because I needed something to bring relief from this existential crisis and this pain. And so I can look at that young self now with so much compassion. I was like, please see me, please see me. Yep. Right. And, and that, Everything trying to grab something outside of myself, like my umbilical cord was in my hand, trying to get fed. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. I, um, I, a big reason why I became a therapist is because of my own experience in therapy and just how transformative it was and how impactful. And I remember I had a, a therapist once and I was telling her about what happened to me. And I was like, this is what they did to me. And this is what they called me. And everybody, you know, said blah, 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 just going on about my trauma. And I was speaking to this and I, and she said, but Whitney, you're the only one that's keeping that here. That's there. You're not here anymore. Nobody around you now knows about this. Nobody sees you this way that you saw yourself, but you are keeping it with you. You're keeping it alive. So in those same, and so we keep chained to, these events because it, it feels like our identity and it feels like in some strange way that we have to, we have to keep ourselves connected to that because just as you said with the Carl Jung quote is that it becomes sort of our subconscious. Like this is my reality. This is my reality, but it's only because we keep recreating it and we're free to leave it in the past. It's just finding that way to release those ties. The and doors. Wise, yeah. Go ahead. A wise, a wise person once said there are three steps, awareness, awareness, and awareness. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's all of it. Wow. So of course, this is an amazing conversation and so much fun talking to you both. But I would like to get a little bit more into your work. And I would love to hear about the collaboration process and writing this book. Because one, I'm kind of fascinated with writing books because I find it very challenging. And I'm like in awe of you guys for making something happen and again, giving birth to these ideas because I'm still not there yet. But I'd love to hear how you collaborated. How did you come together? How did this you know, come into being? Coffee. That's it. Large <laughs> amounts of coffee. It was coffee, the universe, long discussions about like Oprah, Super Soul Sunday. Um, <laughs> How did you guys get anything done? <laughs> well, like, like I said, honestly, and I don't know, I'd like to think TJ feels the same as that it didn't feel like work for me. Yeah. And I think, look, in, in working with anyone, it's having a business partnership, which is a whole another discussion is... There's, there's such a trust that needs to be there. And I think it's so foundational. And I felt that immediately with TJ and it, it evolves. Right. And we've, so we've, like I said, I think we've known each other like 2018. What year is it? I don't even know what year it is anymore. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's sad. Somewhere in the but 20s. We're somewhere in the 20s. So, you know, I think over the last four years, you know, we, gosh, I think we, we, we had tried to do multiple speaking events together and things kept falling through and then COVID hit. And then it was like, you know, I just like hanging out with TJ. And, and then this opportunity came where it's like, let's take 
his amazing work from Conscious Recovery and let's take my work with young people and let's bring Conscious Recovery to young people. And that was it. And that, that was the ball rolling. And it was, let's take these concepts and provide it to teens and their families to quite frankly, to transform lives. That's what it is. And that's it in a nutshell. And just the process itself has been so much fun. And, you know, just the, the, and the creative process, seeing what comes from us being together that I just couldn't have had as an individual. I think that's been incredibly exciting as well. Um, but ultimately, I think what drives me with this and, and our partnership is just my, my deep love and admiration for you, TJ, just as a human and also a colleague. Uh, but knowing how many people we get to help. Yeah. And that's it. It's it's so interesting. Um, my good friend, Dr. Krista Gilbert, I, I asked her one time, she, as she moved up into leadership in the behavioral health field, I said, do you miss working with clients? And this was many, many years ago. She was my first clinical supervisor. And she said... Yes, but I realize I'm going to touch lives, the lives of people I will never meet. And when she said that, there was a spark that came alive within me. And it was at that moment, because she, she's someone who knows how to ask the right question, right? And she's a highly intuitive and beautiful being, one of my favorite humans. And she just knows the exact right thing to say or the question to ask. And that sparked a curiosity within me wow, I wonder if this work that I'm doing with clients could be bigger than just me. And that, that question, really, I sat with that. And I, and I started leaning into... I did a workshop once and it happened really organically. And we ended up writing down the most profound, life-changing moment that we considered to be really positive, like a pivotal moment, like an event that happened that changed us and changed the trajectory of our life in a positive way. And somehow organically in this workshop, what we came to is that's really our purpose. If we want to really live on purpose, we will create a space to provide that for others. Now, it can take all different forms, but my experience that that transformed my life, there were a couple of them that came up, but all of them were about this deep awareness that I came into the world as a whole and perfect spiritual being. And I got programmed to believe I was something other than that. And I've had these moments where I remembered the truth that was beyond the illusion of the ego and the programming and the shame. And that was mine to bring to the world. And then I coupled that with what Krista said. And I thought, wow, what are the infinite possibilities of this? And, you know, on the, on the surface, the reason, I mean, Jessica, just to be transparent, the reason I started wanting to work with you is like, oh, wow, she's so um, cerebral and scientific and I'm so in my heart and spiritual and we can blend these. And guess what? Yes, That's not yes. really the whole story, not even close to the whole story, right? Because we're not one dimensional beings. And even though we're finally, at least in theory, it's been postponed twice, we're finally going to have an event where we talk about science and spirituality meeting. But the collaboration ultimately is about how can we really help more people understand the innate power that's within them, that they are a whole and perfect spiritual being. And it takes so many different forms. And I love, you know, I love your expertise with adolescence too. And she had to reel me in a little on things. <laughs> yeah, we, I think you know, it's, yeah, go ahead. 
Well, we had this idea of superpowers and, and superheroes and yes. neither one of us thought of that individually. It was a collective experience. Oh my gosh, they're like superheroes. Yep. And it just like they exploded. Are. And and what's how powerful is that to tell a young person, no, you're a, you are a superhero. Right. I mean, and, and that goes for us as adults. And I'll just say, that's why so much of this resonates with me still. I still am that kid in so many ways in a good way, you know, but for so long, I thought I just want a normal life. And I was fighting, what if it's okay to be extraordinary? Mm. With these young people, what if it's okay for you to be a superhero and have superpowers and be extraordinary? Because mm. you are. And that's my message to them. And with Conscious Recovery and our work together with Conscious Recovery for Teens, that's what it is. It's going, you are you know, telling the world, every single person, you are extraordinary. You don't have to run from that anymore. It's not an ego thing. It's, it's a beautiful thing. So, and that's my belief. So, and I, I, <laughs> that's the end of it for me is just going, I believe that wholeheartedly. Every human recovery is for every single human or alien if they are from another planet, which like we said is debatable, but it's for every single being on this earth and in this universe. They are extraordinary. Yes. Absolutely. And, and what a, an important message, a powerful message. And again, you know, my hat goes off to you both for taking that idea and bringing it out because TJ, what you described to me is like the miracle and the magic of creation. Um, I've heard the idea that every idea exists in the ethers, right? That's why it'll often happen that two people will have the same idea at the same time about like a new innovation, but it's all it's about is who's the one that will grab it and let it come forth through them. Because so many people won't because of their own blocks, their own things. So the fact that you both let it come out and we're like, I'm going to go with this. And even though it's challenging at times, I'm going to let it through. Then you, you are, you're giving a gift to the world because otherwise it wouldn't be expressed. It would stay yeah, in the ethers. I, yeah. And and what I love about that is you're you're touching something that's so vital. If there's ever been a, any period of my my life or my evolution where I have felt stuck, I always go back to the purpose because when I'm feeling stuck, it's usually that I think I know what it's supposed to look like or something about my own personal um, um, like oh I need something or I need to be recognized or I need to get this job or I need this treatment program to adopt. Whatever that need story is, I go back to purpose. No, that's not what this is about. This is really about being a presence on planet Earth. Each of us, we're all a profound presence on planet Earth and we can be this love and be this light. And if our, if my shining my light impacts one human, that's profound. And we can now come together. The three of us have come together for this conversation to say, to put words to you're a whole and perfect spiritual being. You're an infinite being. You have the power within you. You are not only worthy, but you are a superhero. Wow. Really feel into that. And I think about my five-year-old in kindergarten. And that's not the message I got. And it's certainly not the message that I took on. And so if we can be a voice for a different way of seeing ourselves... We've done our job here on planet Earth. And then it starts to explode. And then then it becomes a movement, right? Because yeah. it's so much more than an individual ego. Yeah. yeah. And I believe that's what's happening. There is a movement starting. And I would say it, again, it comes back to freedom. Do we do we have to live this way? No. The answer is no. We do not have to live this way. And I think again, more and more people are connecting with that and going with it and saying, well, if we don't, then how can we live? 
And it again, it comes back to freedom. We can live freely. We are free. What does that look like? Looks good. <laughs> you know, it looks like a joyful life, right? Jessica, you talked about how we, we like dismiss joy. We're like, who's got time for that? It's like, um, Don't that's why we're here. Do not have time for joy. <laughs> <laughs> Only stress. This is serious. <laughs> serious business here. Yeah, right. Like who said, we said that we're the ones that are like, no, you got to be busy. You got to do, 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 do. It's all about the being and joy is pure being. And that's what you're bringing people back to. You know, and I feel that message so strongly in our talk and in this conversation. And I just love that. And I just love meeting with you both and being amongst others who, who feel it, who feel this and are carrying it and carrying it out in this lifetime. It's beautiful. So thank you both for the work that you do. And if people want to find your work and get to know more about you and get the workbooks, where can they do that? TJ. ConsciousRecovery.com. That's it. It's all there. That's it. That's Beautiful it. website. You can find everything there. there. Yeah. Everything is there. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, thank you so much, Whitney. You're so welcome. Thank you, Jessica, for emailing me and then asking to connect and bringing us all full circle. I hope that this is the first of many conversations and collaborations. I hope so too. Ah, so it. wonderful to see you, TJ. Thank you, Whitney. You too. I so appreciate both of you and everyone who's watching. I, I so appreciate being in this conversation. Absolutely. All right, you guys have a wonderful weekend. That wraps up our beautiful conversation with our wonderful guests. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Waken podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with others and come back for more. If anything you heard resonates, leave a review or send me an email at Whitney at womenwaken.com and check out the website, womenwaken.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day and don't forget to let your light shine and keep an eye out for your special gifts and magic.